0: Here's where we'll start, right? I want to start with the smallest bite that I have and which is this whole um, controversy about India's GDP per capita, almost looking like it's crashing as against Bangladesh's and we are sort of level terms with Bangladesh at this point. And I remember we were talking about the economic situation when we were hanging out in private and you'd said that it's, well, it's, it's, it's a cause of concern. Is this the red flag that you were mentioning that we'd see sometime soon, or is this just some out of proportion news story? That's not doing justice to the substance.
1: Uh, Look, it's a symptom. It's still not the red flag yet, but it's an indicator of where things are heading Hmm. because see, you've got so many mandates. Now you've got two absolute majorities. And the constant refrain we hear about not going in for economic reforms, as in, you know, hard, painful reforms, Mm. because if it isn't painful, it's not a reform. Mm. Okay. At the same time, jhatka pain, like what you saw with uh, 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 demonetization, isn't actually a reform. That's just jhatka. Mm. Uh, Because the goat dies at the end of jhatka, jhatka Mm. or halal, whatever you want to call it. The goat is dead. There is no uh, growth to be had from it. This isn't like going, building up your muscles, which takes uh, pain. Right. Uh, mm. So
2: uh,
1: This is the issue that we're looking at now, Bangladesh. If you look at it, some of us have been saying this for almost seven, eight, nine years that ever since Sheikh Hasina took over and brought in her, all her reforms and all of that, especially her industrial reforms, Bangladesh was going to go way ahead of us. You read Nihil Sharma's book, you know, Restart, uh, Last Chance for the Indian Economy. He's actually got a chapter dedicated to Bangladesh and why Bangladesh was about to overtake India. Okay, mm. So we've known this for a very long time. We've postponed our economic reforms for so long. Since 1991, we have not had proper economic reforms in this country. We've had tinkering under Vajpayee, fairly decent tinkering under Vajpayee a bit more haphazard tinkering under Modi. Hmm.
2: Uh,
1: My issue with Modi's policies, all uh, policies are that they're all Jatka policies. Hmm. Whereas you, you know, good policy is like a perfume. Hmm. Uh, When you, uh, you know, when they say you test a perfume, they say you always spray it at your, uh, uh, under your ears, and you go for a walk for half an hour, either on your wrists or your ears, and you go for a walk for the, uh, for half an hour Uh, and you have to walk. Why? Because what happens is there is the first scent that hits you. And then uh, a perfume is essentially a toxin, much like economic reforms. It is a toxin to huh. the system. Right. It produces a reaction and that reaction takes about 10, 15 minutes to develop. And then you have the mature fragrance of the perfume that comes after about 30 minutes or so. Huh. Reforms are like that, right? It's a toxin to the system in the sense in that it forces a reaction. Okay. And what happens is it is the second order and third order effects of policy that are the most important. The first order is the jatka that you get to see, Hmm. which is queues at banks during demonetization and things like that. That is not a reform per se. Hmm. What happens after that? That is the reform. Hmm. So uh, uh, you see this also with GST. Hmm. For example, and uh, you know, with demonetization, we didn't know what was going to happen. With GST, at least, you know, all of us are predicting that if you've got four slabs, knowing the kind of bureaucracy, lower level bureaucracy, the extortionate rapine bureaucracy you have in this country, we are going to use it to extort businesses and smaller businesses aren't going to have the accounting, uh, uh, manpower you know, man to sit and work all of this out. So the extortion is going to get worse. So you look at my friend Yusuf Unjavala, who runs the defense forum of India. He also runs a uh, a house supplies store. And every single time, uh, every month, some new guy comes, uh, demands a new rate on something, a plastic uh, uh, wash basin tap. Just because it's gold plated, he decides it's a luxury plastic, not even metal, a plastic tap. Because it comes with that cheap gold plating that wears off in about uh, uh, a month or so maximum.
0: Six months though would be a luxury product.
1: (laughs) But that wears off in one month. He now wants to charge it at luxury product rates. And for the arbitration, uh, Yusuf has to go all the way to Mangalore, wasting two whole days, six hours drive, whatever, up uh, for the hearing, then uh, do the hearing and then come back and all kinds of rubbish like this. And there isn't even a system where you can catalog this thing and sort these things out. Uh. Now they're planning on reducing it to a two slab, but even in the two slab, you're going to have these problems. Mm. See this, this kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, we love uh, being verbose
2: Uh. and
1: verbosity adds to complexity.
2: Mm.
1: Verbosity reduces comprehension in the uh, general population. Mm. So, you know, there was this tax on uh, 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 restaurants. Mm. Uh, I I think this was in the UPA time. Uh, It said 7% on something or 12% on something. Now it means the same thing, 7% on something. Why do you have to word it in two, three different ways Mm. when the amount you're charging is the same? So people didn't understand what it was and some restaurants were charging 12%, some uh, restaurants were charging 7% and then they had to come up with a uh, corrective thing. Hmm. So, you know, this is the kind of rubbish that you have this bureaucrat driven policies, where they masturbate off to how much complex words they can put into one. uh, 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 Right. Yeah. Right. And it just goes all downhill from there. Is it, is it like like, sorry, I'm sorry
0: for interrupting you. Just curious. Is it, to, to, to say that there is this masturbatory verbosity, this, this unneeded complexity that gets added for the sake of just, you know, feeling competent rather than being competent. Is that like a, is that like an observation we have from the outside or is it truly that incompetent incompetence is being mar, masked by verbose complexity? Like, is that really the case that you look better,
1: genuinely or It's both. Oh, So it's incompetence on the one hand of the political executive, that is the elected politicians Hmm. to not see that verbosity is either being used to undermine policy Hmm. or to mask the bureaucrats incompetence.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, So if the bureaucrat is doing it, this is what bureaucrats do. Hmm. But if you are not seeing it and you think the bureaucrat is Raja and you are allowing him to bog you down in micro detail, so you know, there's that the very famous episode of, uh, yes, minister, or yes, prime minister, I forget, which, huh. where, uh, the prime minister is given three boxes full of work and the operative section is in the third box, right at the bottom, which you'd only reach at one or two in the morning. So you wouldn't pay attention to it. Huh. <clears throat> this is what they do. Right. Okay. Uh, if you haven't been able to see through that, and if you're going along with this useless verbosity, huh. shame on you. After six years, if you haven't wizened up to the game, shame right. on you. Right. You can no longer blame the babus; it is your problem.
0: Right. Right. And so, what are these magical industrial reforms or economic reforms that Sheikh Hasina has done in Bangladesh that's like speeding her economy like that? That's scaling
1: up, you know, labor laws. This was labor laws was something that this government wanted to introduce in its first term within the first six months. Hmm. And then Rahul Gandhi came up with the suit boot ki Sarkar and the Sarkar got completely scared and then backtracked on all those reforms. Do you remember those labor hmm. reforms? That happened? I remember suit boot ki Sarkar and whatnot being that right. thing. Yep. And uh, what happened here is this is what Sheikh Hasina did here. You actually pay a penalty. If you're going to go from micro to small, small to medium, medium to large, you pay a penalty because the regulatory controls on you, the labor controls on you increase exponentially. Mm. Okay. And the which fine, nobody cares about that. If it went such thick fat regulations, verbose regulations, number one, number two, so ambiguously written that you can't make head or tail out of it. Mm. Number three, highly erratic judiciary, mm. which, uh, you know, the law is the law because of consistency in application, hmm, hmm. the law without consistency is tyranny. Hmm. And that is what you have out here. Okay. You don't know when a judge will say, Oh, you know, the law may say this, but uh, the bigger law is the Dharma of protecting our labor. Therefore I'm ruling against you.
2: Hmm. This
1: is a joke. This isn't a judicial system. Okay. Hmm. Uh, uh, you have things like this at the fourth level. You have the fact that you don't have uh higher and fire laws. Because, you know, quality control is a function of labor laws. Unless you have hire and fire, you cannot have good quality control. There has to be that accountability and you can have higher and fire in spite of labor unions. The okay. problem is we have given labor unions too much power.
2: Hmm.
1: They don't even serve labor. And labor is only that 2% organized labor that you're protecting with these laws. The remaining 98% of labor in India is unorganized who Mm. have absolutely no protection. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, and this is the fifth level that you are preventing 98% of the population from coming into the organized labor market because organized labor is your, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what is the uh, BJP's uh, trade union called? I have no Uh, idea. Uh, i know they all have their own trade unions you know c2 and uh, uh, akil bharti you know that is the that student, student union uh, they, they've got a trade union mazdoor sangh bhartiya mazdoor sangh i think huh. that, that's it all of these things are basically political cartels hmm. where the bosses make money extorting business uh, houses to mere pesado, mere, do, mere and crap like that hmm. And uh, this is how things go about. Hmm. So, you know, uh, uh, because they have to, they have to cartelize in order to, uh, uh, you know, the communist party, for example, will control a uh, trade union, which will then, uh, you know, uh, essentially extort the bosses of the business, Hmm. pretend to extort. Hmm. And the deal will be that the uh, trade union boss's daughter will get to go to America. Hmm. While the uh, uh, industrialist can shove all kinds of shit down the throats of the normal laborers. Hmm. Okay, so it's a completely corrupt, nasty system. And, and this fellow, this trade union boss will then go tell the local minister, Pinarai Ravi or Vijay, uh, what's his name? I forget now, whatever. Mm. I think the chief minister of blah, blah, land. Uh, 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 that, uh, you know, um, I can deliver these 10,000 workers. They will vote for you. Therefore, you give me political things. Make me an MLA the next time round. La mm. It's a completely rotten system through and through to the core. Mm. And, you know, this is what worries me about both about Modi's incrementalism and about Modi's uh, so-called big-ticket reforms, which is that he does not understand deep systemic problems. He doesn't understand that it's a system of systems. You can't change one thing. It's like going to a house that's leaking, or going to a patient who has jaundice and saying, "Bhai, tera muh hai. Ye tere ko Chanel ka, uh, foundation number five foundation Makeup say uh-huh. you know
0: right,
1: makeup right. say you can only hide the Pelia you can't get rid of it right, and that is what we're doing so you know I'm quite disappointed like and you know I don't want to be too negative here they hmm. are doing things hmm. the problem hmm. is it's just not good enough right you have to do a lot more right. you don't understand how things and you know for my own example four or five years back uh I used to be a really not very good defense analyst hmm. because it's a, it's a growth process. Of course. I mean, you grow throughout your life because I used to think that defense was a silo hmm.
2: Hmm. and you that, yes. at
1: that point, yeah. So Samir forced me to, you know, look at education, nutrition, economics, and laddi that to understand how everything is tied up together. You can't solve your defense problems unless you solve all the other problems as well, hmm. not happening. So, you know, it's, I'm despondent now. This is, this isn't a red flag. It's a symptom. It's going to get worse. So tell me, uh, like you know, very often when I have
0: a discussion to this effect, or when I think about it myself, it almost feels like, because of the economic deficiency of our recent past that we are not, this is my hypothesis shoot me down when I'm wrong, that we are not culturally sophisticated enough to play by the rules. And therefore, no matter what system we put in place, We find our own ways to, you know, sort of corrupt it and whatnot, but in, in this example, and and what we've spoken about up until my concern is that Bangladesh is not very different. If, If it's not, if it's not as good, it's probably worse. Right. How is it that they have then like, and it's, it's not even like you can resort to the whole population argument in that case, they are as bad population wise as we are. How is it that they are managing to play by the rules, or like have like a systemic change? Is is it a cultural problem, or is it a systemic problem? Are they different? Like, you know what I'm getting at?
1: Right. Hmm. So, see, Bangladesh, uh, Bangladesh corruption is probably more blatant than in India.
0: They're hmm.
1: probably much more corrupt than we are. Hmm. But remember, both Britain and America, before they became fully industrialized, were just as corrupt. Hmm. Right. France was just as corrupt. That's why you had the French Revolution. Right, right. yes. So uh, uh, the thing is, it's kind of, you know, about the Kuznets curve, right? That after you reach a certain per capita income, the environment becomes more important to you uh-huh. because then the quality of life improves. You're more focused on the quality of life, and therefore your environmental consciousness becomes higher.
2: Uh-huh. This
1: is like that. The richer and richer you get, the more. You focused on correcting systems you become, mm. which is what happened in America. America was run entirely by a small bunch, and in Britain, it was run by the nobles, the House of Lords, mm-hmm. real right. right? Which right. was a little cartel, right?
0: Uh, and uh, uh,
1: and it's quite curious because the House of Lords has how many members? Three, four, five hundred, six hundred members. But I think it's the House of Commons that has six hundred members. In the Mughal Empire, you had 655 families that controlled what? of the wealth of the empire. So that isn't the issue out here. The issue is, do you understand what you are doing? Because with Sheikh Hasina, she understood what was needed for industrial growth. Hmm. She knew that they can't do things like space. They can't do things like uh, nuclear weapons. They can't do indigenous fighter aircraft and all of that. And she decided we are going to focus on two things, ceramics Hmm. and textiles where they already had a certain strength. Mm -hmm. and they allowed those sectors to grow. They didn't even impose restrictions on them. Like, uh, you know, they've got sweatshops there in India. You don't really have sweatshops in that sense, Mm. but then you don't have, people can't open up new factories. Right. There they can just keep expanding, expanding, expanding. And ultimately the, you know, the quality of life will grow Mm. here. You're not allowing to expand. You're not even allowing the, you're settling. So say Bangladesh started from here, the average Bangladeshi textile worker. Today they're still not up to you. They're still a slightly lower. But in say 10-15 years, they'll be here. Hmm. You have been here, you continue to be here, and you don't want to go anything beyond here. Hmm. That is our problem. So so you understand what's happening out here. It's that it's this chalta hai attitude. You it's gotten back. It's come back. It's has got come back. It's come back. And it came back because of all those 2G scams and things like that, you know, for a short period in between, I think end of Vajpayee and UPA1 from Vajpayee's beginning to UPA1, mm. wealth and profit for the first time in India became good terms. Mm. It was good to be an industrialist. It was good to make profit. It was good to, uh, you know, be rich Right. by UPA2. Not just because of the scams, but also because of that NAC crap mm. and the boy's unrestricted socialism. Mm. Wealth became a dirty word again, mm. right? So you're no longer aspirational anymore, right. and that's very, very, very problematic. Because unless you're aspirational, you can't grow. I mean, just because some pseudo religious quack told you 70 years back that this country can survive by spinning a spinning wheel, right. uh, producing low quality garbage cloth. Mm. Uh, Countries can't exist on that.
2: Hmm.
1: Maybe lemurs can, maybe chimpanzees, orangutans and baboons can, human beings can't.
0: Hmm.
1: That's not the way things work.
0: You know, that, that brings me to, um, I was, I was saving Tanishk for the last, cause I think that would make for the bigger topic, but it, this is, this is exactly where um, I, I get curious to me. It often feels like I've woken up in an India where everything that I was taught about India is no longer true. Right? Like Gandhi was a goddamn hero. I didn't realize when he became this figure worth questioning and, you know, his economic policies or shit like on second, October this year, Twitter was filled with people having critical shots at Gandhi. And I'm not saying they were necessarily distasteful. I'm sure some were, but these Nehru and Gandhi were the heroes, right? And it's, it's to me, it seems like not just the heroes, but the narratives that I was told about India are probably have very little to no space in the modern, in this India that I'm living in. So I would never question Hindu Muslim unity. And I'm not saying that there aren't problems to the effect of that, but to the effect of what I was seeing in um, the Tanishqad, it's like a common fantasy fetish. It's like a common, like social, you, you know, like dream aspiration that, that is peddled to me. That was peddled to me in school. That is something I believed in. That's something I'd see in Bollywood. That's something like that's not a very, it's not out of my imagination. It's not beyond the scope of what I can imagine. It's pretty much like, in fact, it's, it's on the, I'm sure there were enough people like me who went to similar schools, who had similar socioeconomic backgrounds who were like, wow, what a beautiful ad. Hmm. Why the hell did it blow up then? What's what is happening?
1: So, you know, there was this uh, Napoleon's foreign minister, uh, Talia uh, uh, he had this very famous phrase, it's, uh, uh, it's worse than a crime. It's a blunder.
0: Huh. Uh,
1: and you know, politicians can't afford blunders. They can afford crimes. They can't afford blunders. Tanish's mm. huge blunder. And I wonder how their PR didn't pick this up huh. was that ad came out the same week that two Hindu boys had been killed by the relatives of their Muslim girlfriends or the girls they were courting or whatever. So, you know, this is like going out and saying, uh, uh, this is like, um, you know, coming up with a funny anti-Semitic ad in 1936, uh, which you think is really funny. Like say Uh, Borat, uh, assume Borat, the running of the Jews. Uh Uh-huh. Now, assume he put it out the same week that, say, a thousand Jews had been massacred in a synagogue fire set off by neo Nazis. Right. Uh, Would Borat postpone the movie or would he allow it to go ahead? Sure, right, 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 right. right. He'd postpone it, it. it, it. It was a horrific blunder. I think somebody in that PR department has to be fired. It would have gone under the radar had, uh, first of all, it was politically clueless about the mood of the social media mood of the country. Mm. And it tells you a lot that if your advertiser is clueless about the social media mood of the country, he or she shouldn't even be in the advertising field. Number one. Second is the PR executives of the firm that made it were so dumb. They didn't even monitor the PR trends to see what had happened that week and for it to blow up.
2: Mm.
1: So whoever is in charge of the marketing at Tata's really needs a kick up their ass mm. because this kind of online lynch mob, I'm not going to blame the online lynch mob because mm. the, the left also does it. The right also does it.
2: Huh. Do I like
1: it? No, no. But do they have a right to vent? Do they have a right to call for a boycott? Absolutely. They don't oh. have a right to say, go kill the advertiser or oh. go kill Ratan Tata or whatever, or let's go burn down, uh, you know, Tanishka uh, buildings or whatever, Right. but they absolutely have a right to abuse. Hmm. They have a right to boycott. They have a right to go after you online. Absolutely. Sacrosanct tried right to go after you online.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That is super interesting. I, you know, how you, you, you mentioned the social media mood. And that's sort of what I was thinking about. I was like, TKR, like I can imagine people having problem with the ad. Tell me one version of Hindu Muslim peace that works. If I can at least imagine, cause this was my, let's just say my average imagination of Hindu Muslim peace up until this ad became a thing where people were like, okay, we are not okay with it. So if you can tell me like in this new concept of India that we are coming up with as we go, as we are building, How, what is an imaginable scenario when Hindus and Muslims exist
1: in peace? What, what has to happen? How does it look? I think at some level, this, Uh. uh, every time you fantasize something, right. Or overstate something, it's usually a falsehood. Hmm. And I think that applies to Hindu Muslim peace as well. Hmm. Hindus and Muslims haven't coexisted in India. They have at best led parallel lives in India. Mm. They have had segregated parallel lives because you look, uh, they usually live in their own mohallas. Mm. Okay. Where do you see syncretic side-by-side existence except in two separate mohallas at most one street will be living because one side of the street, the left side will be Muslim. The right side may be Hindu and that will be about it. Mm. Okay. This is a fantasy. It's like how, you know, in the Vedas, everything begins with Om Shanti and ends with Om Shanti. Mm-hmm. Everything is shanti, shanti, shanti. Why? Because those were violent times, and the Vedas was written. See, the Veda was the Hindu Treaty of Westphalia. Right it was the coming together of lots of different streams of thought that had fought at the battle of 10 kings sudas and the battle of 10 kings and right. they decided you know we don't want to have these wars of religion anymore europe came to that conclusion in the 1600s we came to that conclusion in i don't 4, know 1000 3000 4000 5000 15000 bc i don't know what it is right. uh, i'm not going to get into that uh, year controversy but whenever right and we said this is now the vedas is now a uh, uh, everybody's point of view chalta so in, the, so in the 10th book, you have, uh, you know, the uh, Nasadiya Shukta, which is an atheist Shukta, hmm. right? Uh, 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 and you still have the prayers to the gods and all of that and la Dida, where you have to perform the prayers properly and so on and so forth.
2: Hmm.
1: So all of that, hai. but in this case, what you have is, you know, uh, the Jewish greeting is Shalom, hmm. peace. Why? Because when you were desert dwellers, Every drop of matter, what uh, every drop of water mattered. Mm-hmm. You come and drink from my well, I will kill you. Mm-hmm. You see this in the, I mean, uh, it, it's a movie. So it's a, uh, uh, this thing, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, the mm-hmm. famous one with uh, Pietro O'Toole, uh, the Arab and Pietro Tool go and drink at a Bedouin's well. And the Bedou shoots the other Arab guy and he forgives Peter because Peter's an Englishman. He didn't know, but the other Bedu should have known not to drink water from my well. That is why they keep saying, salam, salam, salam Alaikum, Alaikum, As-Salaam. It's showing, you know, it's like when you make contact with a warrior tribe, with headhunters, mm-hmm. you have to put on these shows of peacefulness and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Why do you keep saying peace? Why do you keep saying Shanti, Shanti, Shanti? Shanti nahi tha kya? Uh-huh. Toh, toh ho?
2: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Agar tha, then why are you going on saying Shanti Shanti? Right, right. Then you'd be saying Pesa, 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 or Rupiah Rupia, Rupiah. rupiah Something like that, right? So Hindu Muslim unity is that fantasy. It probably never existed. Which is why you concoct this hogwash like Ganga Jamuni Tezeeb hmm. or uh you know uh, uh, Hindu Muslim unity hmm. or whatever. It has always been a deeply, deeply violent fraught. A relationship. Just like this nonsense that Hinduism is a religion of peace. It is not, hmm. it is an extremely violent religion. Hmm. Uh, you look at Tirugnana Sambandar, who is one of the uh, uh, Alvars, one of the 72 Alvars. Uh, he had 8,000 Jain monks impaled. As in you can you imagine a Hindu holy man asking for sharpened bamboo sticks, to be inserted up the anuses of eight thousand Jain monks, and for mm-hmm. them to be suspended on that, like Vlad the Impaler, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. became Dracula. Right, 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 right. Okay, uh, this is also Hinduism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. so this nonsense about Hindu being Hinduism being a peaceful religion and all of that—every time you tend to exaggerate things,
2: mm-hmm. I
1: start getting very suspicious, and I usually treat it as hogwash. Mm-hmm. So, but like
0: okay I, i'm willing to buy that because tavleen tavleen said something very similar she she mentioned uh, she, she said um, the hindu muslim Fraught sentiment has always existed in India. And I was like, really? I I was shocked at the same thing because I bloody grew up being told that there are four boys, one of them wears a turban, one of them wears a skull cap, the other wears a cross, and then the fourth person wears something that resembles like an om or something, and they all hold hands in unity and diversity. That's like the drawing they make you do in first grade. So this is Amar Akbar Anthony. That is Amar Akbar Anthony. It's
1: it's crap. It doesn't actually exist. Mm. Right. Anybody who watches Amar Akbar Anthony would be clueless about the fact that it was um, uh, the Arya Samaj, Dayanand Saraswati, who went and alienated the Sikhs, telling them, you know, we need to go back to the Vedas. Your gurus are all frauds and la-di-da-di-da. Mm. We completely alienated the Sikhs from the Hindus mm. and created all the schisms.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, so uh, uh, you won't learn that. I mean, how many people actually know how the Arya Samaj created that rift between Sikhs and Hindus? I, I had no idea. Today, yeah. If Sikhs today are a separate religion, it's entirely because of the Arya Samaj and the mischief they played. And why did they try to do that? Everybody, and everybody has this very benign notion of the Arya Samaj that is huh. so sweet. They're so they do intercaste marriage and la-di-da-di-da. When mm. I was growing up, you know, uh, I didn't even know what the hell caste was. Mm. It, it was irrelevant in the house. Nobody asked about caste. So the first time I came to Delhi after seven, eight, nine years, uh, I was sitting in the school bus and this guy asked me, Tera caste kya hai? Huh. Like, What the hell? How rude. How uh-huh. dare you even ask me my caste? You know, uh-huh. and it turned out he meant your surname. Right, right, but, right. Uh, uh, yeah. But, but anyway, that, that's a slightly different thing. But going by our civics book, which talked about the evils of caste living in New Delhi or living in Madras or Kolkata, you didn't even know what the hell caste was. Okay. And then you go explore everything outside and then you begin to realize how big an equation caste actually is.
2: Mm. But for
1: the first 10 years of my life, uh, my parents were in intercaste marriage, my parents divorced, and then my stepfather was Dalit. Uh, uh, and you know, so for us, even mentally caste was never an issue, but that doesn't mean just because mentally caste isn't an issue for me, doesn't mean caste isn't, isn't an issue for 98% of the rest of the population. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's complicated stuff like that. You, um, uh, the moment we try to, sim- uh, and that is the thing, when you try to oversimplify something Hindu-Muslim hmm. unity, hmm. you know, uh, uh, it's so crude. It's almost laughable in that sense. Hmm. I I get the sentiment. I'm still,
0: I'm still concerned though, because say what you will, even in Israel at this point, there is, let's say a small or a minority of Arabs that get along with Jews. And there is like an arm's length distance, peace equilibrium that the society sort of kind of has. Right. And with all the disclaimers that I've used here, like even to that extent, only to understand the position, that you, or for that matter, if there is a group of people that think similarly, what they represent, I'm just curious, what, what does it look like? Where I, where I no longer have to worry about Muslims and Hindus and all of this all the time being on the news. What does that peaceful state look like? Uh, is in, there any, a future vision, any of that at all? Like It looks
1: like Narnia or Hogwarts because <laughs> it's probably unachievable. It will exist you know, in a fantasy. Look, no. even in America, let's mm. let's look at things, uh let's look at different systems of integration. Sure. Okay. Mm. Uh let's look at say a country like Australia, which is whose uh, you know whose national myth mm. is a fair chance for everybody. Mm. Because of their convict heritage, they believe everybody should have a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, whatever. It's a fair chance. Mm. It's not ethnically based. It is linguistically based that everybody speaks English. Mm. Well, then you have an ethnically based country like Japan. Then you have a linguistically based country like Germany and France, and you have an ideologically based country like America, which is the American dream which is an economic uh, idea. Uh, Australia is a social idea. Okay. Uh, in Australia, even today, the Vietnamese remain Vietnamese. You have intermarriage, you have Jewish uh, white intermarriage, you have Vietnamese white intermarriage. You have Indian white intermarriage, but that is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. Mm. They remain distinct societies. Mm. Japan, ethnically based. So, you know, there's no question of another nationality out there. Mm. The Koreans, because a lot of Korean comfort women came there and there was a lot of that Korean influx in the uh, 30s and 40s, 20s, 30s, 40s. Uh, uh, they have to hide their Koreanness,
2: mm.
1: right? They have to take on Japanese names and things like that. Mm. Germany, you have to linguistically conform Uh, the Vietnamese still remain a distinct community, even though the Vietnamese have integrated, like in Australia, Mm. like in America, they have integrated completely into German society. Mm. They are a model community, Mm. Uh, several ministers from the Vietnamese community. Why have the Turks not integrated? Mm. Okay. Uh, France, Mm. why hasn't the North African community integrated? French Jews are today completely integrated. Hmm. Okay. But hmm. why aren't North Africans completely integrated? Why North aren't, Africa is Algeria and stuff. Algeria. Right. But even black French people from say, Côte d'Ivoire or uh, Niger Trip or diver, something like huh. that right. are not integrated completely into French society. Hmm. So, you know, this comes, um, there was a very interesting study done uh, America today. Mm -hmm. You know, just because some people like say Thomas Sowell and well-to-do black people are integrated into society. What does black lives matter? It shows you the lack of integration into society, which is quite significant. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So there's a lot of things happening out there. This notion that you integrate automatically, you have to find the common enemy. This is why we keep going back to Huntington and substance and silence. Mm -hmm. When did Jews started being seen as white people? when there was somebody more alien than the Jews coming in, Mm. right? So in all of Europe, all the pogroms were directed at Jews till you started seeing more black people, more brown people, more colonies who were like, oh my God, they may be Jews, but at least they're white. So we can intermarry and Disraeli can become the prime minister of Britain. Mm. Uh, Why? Because Disraeli could only become the prime minister of Britain after you started having blacks and browns. Uh, And yellows come into Britain.
2: Mm.
1: Right. Uh, Italians were considered low class people in America. Italians weren't allowed in. Initially, the Irish weren't allowed in, Catholics weren't allowed in. Then Catholics were okay, but Italians went because you're darker. You're not really white, white. You're You're kind of uh,
0: green. Ah, green,
2: Uh,
1: And then after uh, the other migration started, uh, Italy became okay. Italians are also now white. So this is how things happen. So this understanding the difference between substance and silence in India, you've never had that. Huh. you never
0: had
1: that. So you said it,
0: substance and silence.
1: Substance is what connects us. Right. So why do both Prakar and Abhijit consider themselves to be Indians? Hmm. And why do we not consider Imran Khan to be an Indian? That is right. silence. Substance is what ties us together, Silence is what separates us Right, 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 right.
0: Right. So in I understand, right? Like you can make the case that there is, like, the blacks are not integrated in America. There might be all, but then how is it? How do I imagine a demographic equilibrium? Like, what does a peaceful situation look like? Or is there no peaceful situation ever? Is the final answer that Muslims must leave for Pakistan? Like, what is? What do we think? So we're waiting for Sri Lankans to come in so that that we can then be like
1: every answer, which is that it was probably possible before the information age.
0: Mm.
1: where your knowledge was restricted. So for one of the things that I've seen where uh, essentially Asiatic despotic feudal medieval population, Central Asia, so oh. Kyrgyzstan, uh, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and uh, Kazakhstan, which are horrible, horrible, nasty places to be in mm. you know, because it, it was massive resource shortages, extraordinary cruelty of a steppe people and things like that, despite the few cities here and there. Right. Uh, who over 70 years of the Soviet union started thinking of themselves as European following sedentary European norms, uh, eating pork, mm. drinking alcohol uh, and so on, and so forth being quite irreligious or all to the point of being anti-religious almost mm. because even now in Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, If you, if you're seen going to mosque every day, the secret police will knock at your door and take you. away. Why? Uh, They, they're not comfortable with religion. Oh, so they're, so they're so anti-religious at this point. They're they're not anti-religious. They're fine with, they they use religion as a binder in addition to ethnic binding, because they are Turkoman, Kazakh, Kirgiz, Tajik, but they also are very scared of it being anything other than an identity marker. Mm. You're free to have religion. Mm. You are not free to believe too much in that religion. That's so interesting. It is, which is is why I, I find Central Asia. I think of all the places I've been to North Korea and Central Asia. Of course, Central Asia has amazing architecture, but other than the architecture, I find the social dynamic to be just fascinating because there are so it's for me initially I used to think of it when I lived in the USSR as a kid I used to think it was fascinating because uh-huh. this is such a progressive society it's the socialist you know I was a full on communist when Social, I was a kid right, yeah. as in I hated America I wanted to, uh, uh, End if, to if, if, if it met me when I was seven years old huh. I would be the kind that would have probably uh, uh, flown the plane into the World Trade Center. I hated I them because like the <laughs> Because They were opposing my beloved USSR and the progressive uh, future ideals of socialism and communism. Not socialism. I thought socialists were traitors. Mm-hmm. I was a full on communist. Remember that. Mm-hmm. But uh, today, when I talk to my Muslim friends from, say, Iran or Afghanistan, uh, because I travel there, you know, I have family in Iran, so I go there quite often. Uh, uh, they, they they look at Turan, which is Central Asia. It, it used you speak Iran, Turan. Iran is Persianate, Turan is Turkic.
2: Huh.
1: Uh, Turan is a cultural genocide. They believe that the whole culture of that region, very complex culture, Turkic meets Persianate meets something else, has been completely wiped out, which is also true. Hmm. So it has also been a sort of ethnic... Leveler. Uh, not leveler, cleansing in a sense. Hmm. It has been a cultural cleansing. Hmm. Hmm. So, you know, it, it's so complex, but it could only be achieved in a pre-information age where your control of information was absolute. Your control hmm. of society was absolute in this day and age with democracies, best of luck. I don't think it's going to happen. Right. Right. That's a very interesting point that the, scaling... sorry, just to please, please. articulate it. It was a very curious intersection. Of industrialization meets, uh, uh, sorry, pre-information industrialization meets very good or very chalu or very cunning social policy Mm. in the case of the USSR and the Turks uh, with the others, you see China doing it. China has, uh, you can't do it in the information age with China's probably trying it, but they're sociologically not very good because if you look at Chinese sociologists, they're complete rubbish. Mm. Uh, and, uh, Chinese information control is also not the best. So that right. ship sailed. Right. No, but
0: it's so interesting that this, the fact that as soon as the information industry scaled, democracy sort of reached this, very weird stalemate situation where they cannot have short-term costs of big nature to justify any long-term benefits that they might think is all right in any sense, right? Like it ha- it's always in the world's view. It's always subject to international opinion. It always has to be looked at like that. And I mean, we see that, you know, when Amit Shah said, what Western human rights cannot be applied to the Indian context. And there is stuff like that, that keeps popping up. China has this whole rhetoric about how the Western values are decadent and so on, but I am still caught up with this, uh, central Asia thing. So these guys are like, they, w- w- what is their central narrative? Then if it's not religion, like what do they bind around, uh, bind around? Like with the culture, cultural parts, w- what is happening there?
1: So, uh, central Asia is very, very curious in Turkmenistan what happens is it's, it's very much a imagined ethnic binding. Because if you look at the flag of Turkmenistan, it's the yeah. green, this thing with a strip with five tamgas. And those are the tamgas, which are the tribal markers of the five main tribes of Turkmenistan. Mm. Okay. So it's a tribal Turkoman identity, which, is, uh, which was um, and still is to an extent wrapped up in a cult of personality around their president in Uzbekistan. It's very much a cultural identity because remember the Uzbeks, unlike the Turkoman's became sedentary. Uh, And there's a very funny story about this because you know, in Bengali, as I suspect in North India as well, uh, the, one of the swear words, one of the words for idiot used to be Ujbuk Hmm. or Uzbek. Why? Uh-huh. Because it was the Uzbeks that had settled down and created Tashkent and Samarkand and Bukhara. Well, Tashkent didn't exist in those days, Samarkand and Bukhara. Huh. And uh, the Turkomans, if you go to Turkmenistan, you'll see it's a full-on desert. There's uh-huh. no green patches out there. It's just complete desert. Huh. Uh, because they were desert dwellers, much greater resource competition. They were the ones that would come and uh, occupy control and invade everybody else. Hmm. And so the... Invasions of India were mostly the troops were mostly Turkoman. Mm. And their hatred for the Uzbeks, who were their traditional neighbors, made Uzbek the swear word. So even when Burat keeps cursing the Uzbeks, huh. he says, you know, we are going to open fire on the Uzbeks with our catapults and things like that. It's actually a very deep social phenomenon because mm. all the neighboring tribes, the Tajiks, the Kyrgyz, the Kazakhs, and the Turkomans, Hated the Uzbeks because none of them had sedentary societies like the Uzbeks did. They chilled out. Uzbeks, they just chilled the Uzbeks out. Uzbeks chilled out. Uh, so that so Uzbekistan actually has a cultural identity. Mm. It's also different uh, linguistic family. So Uzbek is a Kipchak language. Kipchak Turkic. Uh, uh, Turkoman is Oghuz, Western Turkic. So it's same as Azerbaijan and Turkey. Mm. Uh, uh, You know, Uyghur, for example, is Karlukit or Eastern Turkic.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: Kazakh is a different branch. I think Kazakh is also Kipchak, uh, one of mm. the Kipchak branches. But these are linguistic ethnic identities, and they tend to overlap amongst. Mm. But it is a coherent national identity. That's very solid. That's
0: like I only got acquainted with. I have been fascinated by the Middle East for such a long time. I only got acquainted with Iran recently in a book that I was reading. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Ayatollah begs to differ. It's some American guy who's Iranian, who goes to Iran and then writes about it. So it's like, it's like a filtered view of what Iran might be from a very Western, but Iranian lens. And I, I enjoyed reading it thoroughly because it's such a, he paints a vivid picture of what Iran looks like. And now I'm just interested. Now I just want to see what Tehran looks like and like how it is. Have to, it's amazing, right? And yeah. but Central Asia is somewhere I've never liked. I think that's going to be next. All the documentaries I'm
1: going to watch the next few days are going to be around but Central Asia Iran again is so, so, so different because, you know, Khamenei hmm. isn't ethnically Iranian. He's ethnically Turkic, he's Azerbaijani. Okay. So, you know, Iran is another fascinating piece because when you look at it technically, huh. even though. The empires, you know, Turkic empires, the Mughal empire, the Ottoman empire, they were all called the Persianate empires because huh. you know they, they got completely absorbed in Persian culture. It was sometime only in the 1500s where the Ottoman empire decided that they're going to use Turkic as the official language and not Persian anymore. Huh. And everybody was shocked in the Mughal court. They were like, oh my God, you've regressed back into barbarism. How can you give up Persian for Turkic? Hmm. even though the Mughal native language was also Turkic
2: huh, huh.
1: They had from uh, you know, the Fargana Valley. Right. So um, it, 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 Persia for me has always been that very, very tantalizing sociological study. I and mean, if you go there, you go to Tehran, mm-hmm. you'll see this completely sociologically clueless drug and alcohol fueled rich right. Uh, you know, socially disconnected city. Like South Delhi. Beautiful city, like South Delhi. Yeah. Much richer and much more tasteful. South Delhi, 99% 99, of the people have no class. Yes, yes, yes. uh,
0: Mercedes C-class and Mercedes (laughs) E-class. Exactly.
1: Right. Mm. But uh, uh, in Tehran, they actually have good taste. Mm. Uh, uh, Most people have good
2: taste.
1: Mm. Uh, But then you go to Shiraz, Mm. which is much more rural in its outlook. Mm. And you will see, because that is fast. That is where Persepolis was. So that Mm. is the beating heart of Iranian culture.
2: Mm.
1: It's completely different. It's much more conservative. Mm. You go to Isfahan, which was the Safavid capital. It's much more urban, but it's also ethnically very different. Mm. You go to the East, Mashhad is completely ethnically different. Uh, Tabriz is Turkic, it's Azerbaijani technically. So it's completely different. Again, Mm. you have the Kurdish Western areas, which I haven't been to yet Mm. of Iran. So you have these ethnic things. And that's been, you know, for me, the Iranian revolution called Islamic revolution,
2: Revolution,
1: because they never called it the Shia revolution. Hmm. They called it the Islamic revolution. Why? Because they have huge pockets of Sunnism, even within the Kurds are Sunni.
2: Hmm. The Khuzestanis
1: are uh, uh, Sunni. So there's the Arab uh, areas near uh, 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 Iraq, which are Sunni. There is uh, uh, Balochistan, Vasistan, which is uh, a part of Pakistani Balochistan, technically, ethnically, which is also Sunni. So, you know, it had to be masqueraded around as an Islamic and not a Shia revolution. Uh, And there's so, I mean, we can just go on talking about Iran because there's so many cultural facets to Iran, which never comes out. You know, one of my big complaints about Western scholarship on Iran is it is so crude. It is so black and white. Uh, It's just Iran versus us. There's no understanding of, you know, the deep, regional, the linguistic uh, divisions within Iran, you know, you can even explore Iran through its food. Gilaki cuisine, for example, is very different from say Tabrizi cuisine, which is very different from Tehran, which is very different from the south. The south is, you'll actually use a lot of tamarind and fish, which is a very Tamil Kerala thing to do. It's actually more than Kerala, it's a Tamil uh, Andhra thing to do. East coast, even not even on the West coast in that sense. So, you know, even that cuisine exploration leads you to so much because technically, if you look at it, uh, there is a cuisine belt where India is the spiciest and it goes towards Iraq and Saudi Arabia, which are spicy, but not that spicy. Hmm. Iran is the odd man out because it's totally non-spicy.
2: Mm. Between
1: Pakistan and Iraq, Iraq has a lot of spices in their food. Pakistan has a heck of a lot of spices in its food, but Afghanistan and Iran don't. Why? Because it is a complete Turkic. It's a north to south Turkic Mm. cuisine influence that came down south.
0: Very interesting.
1: So, you know, so the cuisine doesn't match the ethnicity, which doesn't match the language because Persian, it went up into Turan. The cuisine came down. Culture and language went up.
2: Huh, Religion
1: right. came from the south, right. uh, got modified by the north because remember the uh, Iran till the fifteen hundreds was a Sunni state. Right, it was ninety nine percent Sunni.
2: Huh. It
1: was only when the safavids who were a Turkic Kizilbash uh, Turkic Shia tribe, they forcibly converted Iran to Shiism. Huh. So you know it's it's just fascinating those layers of history and the ethnicity right. and all of that they just completely lost.
0: Yeah, yes, I get that. I, you know, uh, I'm almost tempted to touch upon like even the um, it, it's Armenia and Azerbaijan, right? That are, that yeah. are getting along. Yeah, yeah. But um before that, let's let, let me start you off with uh, China and Taiwan and India. What is this news I'm hearing about? We are going to retreat from Ladakh lines, but we are going to announce that PLA. So this is just preemptive nonsense. So, you
1: know, uh, uh these people, they keep coming up, these propagandists, they keep coming with preemptive stories. Okay, There's nothing to so, that effect. There's uh, nothing that we know of to that effect. It could also be true. Hmm. The problem hmm. is I can, I can literally preempt policy. If I'm going to start prediction,
2: hmm. uh, uh,
1: what you see is that there is a understanding that Doklam became a reverse from, for us, hmm. what we won on the battlefield, not really a battlefield, a staring field or a standoff hmm. field. Hmm. We gave, up in, Wuhan. We gave the, up in Wuhan. We gave up in Wuhan during the Wuhan summit between Modi and Xi Jinping. Hmm. Uh, because after that we didn't have the, what we had won based on Standing off against the Chinese at Doklam, we gave away in Wuhan because there was no stomach to uh, stare them down anymore because we sacrificed our position at the altar of good relations hmm. we gave we gave up tangibles in return for intangibles, which is the worst thing, like israeli Palestinian land for peace. It never works hmm. this time, there is the belief that this is not going to happen, which is what makes this story highly unlikely.
2: Hmm.
1: On the other hand, given that this government has learned nothing from its economic policies and keeps repeating the same mistakes over and over again, not looking at second order effects, third order effects, even in Kashmir, I mean, it's not just economic policy, it's also security policy. Jatka hmm. Kardia 370 diya. Uske baad jo deconflicting of the economy, karna tha, the deconflicting, the decriminalization of society, and the deconflicting of the economy, hmm. uh, finding a new political class, all of that is it happening. You're going back to the old people, the old power brokers the same bloody terrorist leaders, and all of that. So TK, hmm. I mean, you you're, you're basically intersectional cross-governmental incompetence. Hmm. You can't rule out incompetence. Hmm. But from what I know, people knew that they got taken for a ride in Doklam at hmm. Wuhan. Hmm. Uh, and there is a belief that it isn't going to happen. Hmm. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, right?
0: But, uh, have we been improving the relationships with Taiwan? Uh, I, I heard something- No, not really
1: see uh, Taiwan is on a publicity blitz. Huh. Uh, the problem with Indian diplomacy is it is so compromised to China. Uh, through commercial dealings and sometimes even honey traps. Apparently that's what the time you tell me that. And I'm like, that's, that's wild. But you know, our counterintelligence is terrible. If the only Chinese spy you can find in Delhi is a journalist, a non-accredited freelance journalist who has written for six, seven different publications. It really shows you how trashy your counterintelligence is. Or maybe how compromised it is.
0: And that could not be because there are no Chinese spies in Delhi. That's not you possible. you really think there no Chinese spies? No. I mean, i like, would be reasonable. I definitely think there would be. Well, but, that's
1: the point. Uh, Why haven't you been able to get them? Mm. Right. Um, so uh, maybe if they spent more time in actually doing proper counterintelligence instead of stupid sedition cases without any proof, where they throw people up in jail for one year just looking for proof and not finding any proof, and then having to concoct proof. Right. Uh, Please go ahead. I'll ask you the question later. uh, They 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 would actually then do something. The problem is, your standards on your diplomats posted in Beijing, returning from Beijing, going to Beijing are very lax. Hmm. Uh, There is genuine concern, and this isn't just a Taiwanese concern. I've heard this from the Americans. I've heard this from the Japanese. I've heard this from the Swedes and the French that our operational security is extremely lax. We're far too penetrated for their own good, for our own good. And one of the main reasons they don't give us technology is that they claim that they just don't trust our operational security measures, Mm -hmm. be it in terms of personnel or be it in terms of technology and processes. Okay. Uh, So uh, this is one, but I mean, you know, we're reading too much into the compromise thing. mm -hmm. There is also plain incompetence Mm -hmm. Handland's razor never attribute to malice, what you can do stupid uh, incompetence to right. stupidity, mm. uh, which is that we use the Dalai Lama, Tibet and Taiwan as pinprick tools, mm. uh, right? We use them and we throw them away when we don't need them. We right. don't look at them as assets, but this is our intelligence thing throughout mm. the way, you know, uh, Muraji Desai discarded all our assets in Pakistan.
0: Huh. Then
1: IK Gujral goes and does the same thing. Huh. Then Doval doesn't the same thing all over again. Disposed or assets in Pakistan? Disposed or uh, you know disinvested? Uh, with Muradji, we're no longer engaging with you. With IK Gujral again, you know, we're no longer engaging with you. With Doval again, we're no longer engaging with you. Why in the entire Balochistan insurgency? It's it's a it, it's it's a technical flaw in the Indian mind. I don't know. It's mm. it's this belief, and this is the most dangerous thing about all of this is that individuals. Are still able to impose their will over institutional interests. Mm. Okay, it shows you what a primitive society we are, how primitive and crude and feudal and pre industrial our systems, our institutional systems of governance mm. are. Mm. Mm. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. On one hand, it's also a good thing when you want to implement change, mm. but not a good thing when it's it's stupid policy when you're trading intangibles for tangibles mm. intelligence is a tangible and insurgency is a tangible peace is an intangible mm. okay so uh, taiwan will be used all you're doing is opening uh, talks on a free trade this thing taiwan has a whole gold mine of electronic intelligence and human intelligence on uh, china are you doing any of that no are you preventing your students from going to china and instead go to taiwan to learn chinese no So what are you actually doing? This is all, you know, there's nothing actually in Indian foreign policy. Okay. Indian diplomats, the MEA is at best an event management agency.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. Think of a very glamorous event management agency with good access. Mm. That's about it. That is all they're realistically capable of. Mm. Uh, Rest of it is just Tamasha. So there's nothing really happening with Taiwan per se. She may become uh, uh, uh Tai in ingwen. Tsai, T'sai ingwen I, I'm so sorry, I forget the name. Um ah. I keep getting confused. Um and I don't know why. It always happens with three syllable Taiwanese names, um uh, and always with the Taiwanese president. Um, is the most popular internet personality in India, but see that's a trend, that's a fad. That isn't institutional engagement. Right, right. Uh, which you need to start doing. Mm. Uh, you know, but it's not happening. So it's often, some, but it's, it shows you how clumsy Indian foreign policy actually is.
0: Yeah. I I've I, I wonder very often if China has the balls to openly undermine, and this is not even a contest of balls. It's just like the, the enemies on the face. They undermine our sovereignty when it comes to Arunachal, to Ladakh, to whatnot and what for, how is it that we can house the Dalai Lama claim that he was expelled from Tibet, but not called Tibet, Tibet. Why is that not Indo-Tibetan border? Why, why do we at least like linguistically not begin to do something like that?
1: Well, I mean, this, you have to ask Nehru and Rajiv Gandhi and vajpayee hmm. Remember this whole acceptance of Tibet being a part of China
2: hmm. was
1: started a put in motion by Rajiv Gandhi, but implemented by vajpayee
2: hmm. uh,
1: And we didn't even get the commitment that Arunachal is a part of India in return. So why is it, I I think this is something people really have to ponder. Why is it that every single time you give up your bargaining tools with China, 70 years running and continuing even today, right up to Dokla. Mm. If you come to the conclusion, there are only two conclusions, three conclusions to be had, incompetence, compromise, or a mix of the two. And if your leadership, if your political leadership still hasn't understood that, you know, make a fool of me uh, once shame on you make a fool of me twice. Shame on me. Hmm. So I'm not blaming the Chinese for this. I'm blaming us. Look, hmm. I never blame other people for our mistakes.
2: Hmm.
1: It's very easy to blame Pakistan, China, but we need to introspect and look within ourselves. The fault. What is that Hindi song? Ke pehle khud ko kare. Right.
0: right. Right right we we we're fond of intangibles like monkey shakti
1: we love we love that kind of nonsense, right, I
0: because don't. that just removes everything that is immediate We you don't really
1: export anything tangible, yoga, tandoori chicken, uh, well, tandoori chicken at least is a tangible right or oh, a a soft car huh. uh, so, you know it's it's just crap.
0: Okay. How's uh, your tweet about Pakistan was very interesting because you seem to suggest it's not that My Pakistani friends seem to be saying, "Oh, awam jaag rahi hai. There is all this news on the right media space that Pakistan mein civil war. Hi ho rahi hai. Imran Khan ko army hi karke maane ga and whatnot. Is that really happening, or is that just like overblown? Delhi, protest Jati Calcutta. This is like those. Uh...
1: Uh, you know, those uh, 5,000 uh, good for nothings that collected at Jantar Mantar during cow lynching and said, Not in my name. Uh, and every newspaper blew it up as if it was the next big uh, uh, India against corruption uh, uh, right. rally or whatever. <laughs> there was nothing happening. This fellow got uh, kidnapped. Uh, this isn't even the first police officer to get kidnapped. About five, six of them have been kidnapped in the past. The police was angry. They did some gheraoing and some maring and all of that.
0: Uh. Imagine the police
1: is It's nothing compared to what happened in India. Huh. You remember in Kashmir in 1989, when the uh, uh, ethnic uh, ethnic cleansing of Kashmiri pundits happened, you had Kashmir civil service officers and police officers officially issuing threats to the Hindu community who never got sacked from their positions. They were retained in their positions.
0: So the the, the civil Uh, servants and the police policemen back in the late 80s, early nineties, when pundits were being expelled, were expelled from
1: Kashmir with with the active collusion of the police, of the Jammu and Kashmir police, you had police, government and other officials. Actually, some of them wrote a letter. Remember we don't accept Indian occupation and shit like that. No disciplinary action taken against them.
0: Continued in government. So, this is way it. Huh. Huh. Okay. Huh. Uh, whereas,
1: any, any serious historian, hmm. I
0: mean,
1: it's different if you're a historical prostitute, that's a different right. man, which is what most of our historians are. Right. But any serious historian who sequences this. Huh can show you that Jagmohan had absolutely nothing to do with it. He came too late to stop anything. He departed too early to prevent anything.
2: Huh.
1: The state had broken down. The uh, government had gone out of your hand.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay, There's nothing you could have done. So uh, uh, this whole thing, uh, uh, so it happens in India also, hmm. right? Uh, um, this is what has happened in Pakistan police, uh, but the police always get treated like shit by the Rangers who get treated by shit. Like the Pakistan army. Right. Okay. Uh, to be fair. I had a very encapsulated view from Clifton and the posh areas of Islamabad huh. because I, all my friends are Part of the establishment, I guess
0: huh. right. uh,
1: they're part of that industrial military uh, um, uh, uh zamindari nexus that I keep criticizing all the time. Um, of course they give me the best scotches, like 21 year old scotches and things like that. So I can't I really can imagine.
0: Pakistan royalties is not, is no joke, man. People <laughs> are rich. they like, it's not like I have a friend with a bloody tiger in his house. you know, the Colombian community tiger in the class.
1: There's no joke. And stuff
0: like that. You
1: you you know, it's like it's literally feudal. It's feudal. It's, uh, it's completely feudal. So um they were telling me Dekho, bhai, kuch ye hua hai, But where was the civil war? You know, even the videos they were putting. They put on some police guys doing something, and then superimpose some movie car thing of you know whistling bombs, World War Two. Who uses whistling bombs in this day and age? If you're doing a morph, a sound morph, at least think intelligently. <laughs> you this was part of that psychological strategy of the Stuka bomber that the Stuka hmm. had its own sirens when it could dive bomb. Huh. the siren was meant to introduce terror and then the bomb itself had whistles built in the, the stabilizer the fin stabilizer huh. had a whistle meant built into it to increase the screeches to increase the psychological terror huh. because stealth is valuable you don't want people to know there is a bomb falling right. till the blood, till it's already blown you up you'll right. be dead before you even know there is a bomb over your head right it's not psychological anymore it's all precision now right you don't put that anymore hmm. Hmm. <laughs> You're using World War II <laughs> soundtrack, <laughs> super imposed on. i karna
0: hai intelligently. intelligently I often come across this argument with my Pakistani friends and there is this, like I never knew that the Pakistan side of Kashmir, whatever they have, is bloody peaceful. Anybody can go there. Like it's, it's like no problem. It's very accessible. Uh,
1: not really. You Achha? can't. There, no, that's not true. Ah. It is not true. There are severe press restrictions out there, uh, far more restrictions than there are in Indian Kashmir, actually. But militarization, (laughs) uh, hugely militarized Ah. society itself. There is militarized, Hmm. right? I mean, Pakistani society is generally a very militarized society. Hmm. Uh, Pakistani, Israeli, Russian society are heavily militarized because of uh. Uh, those two, because of, you know, the national character one is because of uh, two, are because of conscription in Pakistan, it's because, you know, the army is one of the few things that provides you with social in a feudal society, the army provides you with social climbing opportunities, which Mm -hmm. nothing else realistically can. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the one organization that actually affords you some limited social climbing. Right. So, uh, no, Pakistan occupied Kashmir, Gilgit, Baltistan are extremely tightly controlled. Mm. Uh, my Pakistani friends uh, don't uh, uh, mince their words about it. Maybe because your Pakistani friends aren't in the security field. Mm. Of course, they notice well. all these things and things like that. Uh. And all my uh, non Pakistani friends who lived in Pakistan or travelled there have also been telling me the same thing. They would much rather be in Indian Kashmir in terms of security restrictions and reporting restrictions, hmm. uh, telephone restrictions, uh, filming restrictions, than they would be in Pakistan. Occupied Kashmir. occupied
0: Right. So the whole, uh, hmm. the whole surgical strike thing with the, with, with whatever Abhinandan and Imran Khan was like, international media, dekhalo humare to kuch nahi
1: hai. Ek एक, एक we have multiple sources confirming it. Hmm. So you know the same sources that confirmed to me that Karachi me hai hmm. hmm. where the same sources that confirmed to me Balakot why are they going to
0: lie? Hmm. that was all like this that, that a- peaceful a-
1: their thing was, see, the one thing they confirmed was. That, uh, who was the chief? Is it Sayyid Salahuddin or I forget now? Yeah, they have
0: Khaja, Khajwa, Khajwa. You, you mean the chief of uh, staff the chief from
1: uh, the thing we targeted, the terror camp that we targeted? Oh,
0: achha, achha, achha. I don't remember his I don't name. Forget now,
1: but, um, Masood, Azhar, uh, Masood Azhar or Sayyid Salahuddin. Yeah, their think their Naming diversity is not Everybody is Sayyid uh, or Mohammed or something. Ha. I can't remember all the names. It's right. all. Uh, Jumble like you know, for um white people, every Indian is Raj, uh-huh. and for every Indian, uh, for, for an Indian, every Western guy is either a David or a Richard
0: or a John or, or, is or a, a Richard.
1: Uh, John uh-huh. Peter Richard, uh-huh. David. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a news item that came out two days later that's either Sayyid Salahuddin or Masad, uh,
0: uh. whatever the other guy's name, Masad, oh, uh-huh. yeah, let's just uh-huh. call uh-huh. it. Uh, S- Ahmed. S-
1: Ahmed. x Ahmed
2: X. <laughs> <Ahmed> x <laughs> placeholder, <had>
1: placeholder name. <laughs> a placeholder name. Ahmed x had been admitted uh, his condition was very serious. Uh. And there was speculation that he had been injured in that Indian airstrike. <laughs> Those sources confirmed to me uh, now it multi-source confirmation. There are my Pakistani sources who asked other people.
2: Mm.
1: There were Pakistani sources around there who confirmed direct to me.
2: Mm.
1: And completely different Pakistani sources that my friend Francesca Marino, the Italian reporter has who confirmed to her mm. that the strike was there. Uh, it killed somewhere between 30 to 80 people. Mm. Uh, the one thing that was never told to any of us was ki Azhar X uh, or Ahmad X has been killed. Mm. Had he been killed or injured, the first piece of information that would have been given to us is not that 30 to 80 people have died. It is that Azar X has been, or Ahmed X has been badly injured Injured or injured or just plain injured. Right. But that wasn't it. It was 30 to 80 people have died. Hmm. So when you have multi-source confirmation like that, you have clear satellite image showing you three holes. Right. On a tin roof. You have a clear time lapse between the period that the press is allowed to go out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what happens?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a lot of things. Uh, uh, Balakot absolutely did happen. It did reduce their training strength. It set them back by about two to three years at least because it killed the train the trainer program. Mm. Mm. So that was very important. Uh, it was also the first strike we carried out in Pakistan proper. It isn't disputed territory. It's Northwest mm. front. France, mm. Right? Mm. So uh, that, that was important. That was very, very important. Mm. Uh, it was a very good thing to have done. Mm. It's one of the few things where in spite of probably having thought of a jhatka mentality, even the second and third order policy effects were good. Right. Tegan. Right, right,
0: right, right, right. I think, I think I'm pretty caught up for like a few weeks before I have you on again.